0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: It sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? A taxonomist, a mathematician and an ecologist walk into a bar. Except that, you know, in this case we were locked in a house. In 48 hours, Queensland's the borders shows. will begin climbing, climbing the toughest of are being of warned lives. To
2: stay people home. Passing, and control, people's lives are been fire completely fire. turned upside down.
3: So, in 2020, we were all told, don't come into work. You need to stay at home.
0: Queensland's third coronavirus this
3: day. is going is to be us two, getting at each other's throats. It's
2: Being locked in with your housemates is not what you expect when you're signing a rental agreement, but it's a good thing to think about. And one household in Brisbane decided to make the best of a bad situation and turn their rental address into the newest prospect for national park recognition in Australia. I'm Ann Jones and this is What the Duck. Let's set the scene. Brisbane. Three men, one house.
1: You're a group
0: of friends in a share house. There were three of us. Matt Holden. Andrew Rogers. I am Russell Young. Each had one bedroom in the middle of Annerley. In really suburbia.
2: The road is hilly. Anywhere that isn't concreted is covered in green. And there's wheelie bins and power lines.
3: It's like three kilometres or so from the skyscrapers.
2: It's an average house in an average street. There's nothing to see here.
3: It's three bedrooms, two
1: bath. It's on a 400 square meter block. The house was pretty typical for Brisbane, right? So not all of the doors, you know, went all the way to
3: the ground.
2: Andrew Rogers, with the most devastatingly accurate description of Queenslanders I have ever heard.
3: You know, it's within a block of a train station, a couple blocks of a hospital, a block of a main arterial road. That was Matt,
2: and this is Russell.
0: The amount of greenery and the amount of urban infrastructure it sat in was consistent with what you'd expect of any kind of inner suburban city in Australia.
1: And it's, you know, maybe, I would like to think, a typical share house.
2: There's a lily-pilly tree and a fairly informal hedge.
1: We did a, a little bit of work in the garden, and that meant that, you know, leaf litter accumulated in the corners, and we would sweep the pads once in a while.
2: I really hope no real estate agents are listening to this as they're searching for references for you three.
1: Yeah, there was definitely no attempt to really control anything that was going on in there.
2: Okay, you get the point. It's a very average house in a very average inner suburban area of Brisbane. This domestic scene is where these three would hide away from COVID.
1: It sort of kicked off very close to the start of lockdown when we
0: were doing a bit of house cleaning. Dr Andrew Rogers, who's my housemate, noticed that he had a lot of spiders in various corners of his room. Kind of had a moment where, like... These aren't all the same type of spider. A lot of them were all
1: different. and How many spiders are we living with?
3: The three of us really got the idea, well,
0: why stop at spiders? How many species overall, all of everything we had on our property.
2: There it is. That. Is the idea
3: this is going to be the house project that prevents us from getting at each other's throats?
2: <laughs> Record every single species you find at your share house.
3: That sort
1: of uh, got us to start, you know, keeping detailed records of the other things in the house.
2: And he's not talking about his housemates. Well, not the human ones.
0: There's a thing called bioblitzing, which is you go to an area and you sift the vegetation, eat the leaves, dig through the the soil and spot everything that you can find in one area and totally catalogue all the, the species richness. And we decided, why don't we just do that for our house and see how many we can find.
2: Wait, wait. Before we get to the actual searching, there's another important fact that you need to know. These guys are nerds.
1: You're yeah, a group of friends in a share house that all have a keen interest in natural history.
2: That's understating it. We need to reintroduce these three, not as hermits from the pandemic, not as every man representing the hordes of workers ordered home in their prime, but as frontline explorers going where no scientist has gone before. Well, actually, many scientists have been in share houses, but you get what I mean.
1: You're a group of friends in a share house.
2: Matt Holden. Lecturer in mathematics, expert in environmental modeling.
1: Andrew Rogers.
2: Wildlife ecologist specializing in the conservation of species in modified environments.
1: Russell Young.
2: A taxonomist working in marine environments.
1: There were three of us. But how many other species were we sharing the house with?
2: Go on then, take a guess. How many species live at your place? Well, I think. The three of us sort of
3: thought we were going to find in the sort of 200 to 300 species of animal, right? That's, that's, that seems like a lot of things to be in and around your house. Like maybe we'd have like 10 or 15 different species of spiders and fruit flies. And some house
2: flies. And maybe a few mosquito species. Maybe
3: a a cockroach. A couple of
2: possums, a couple of butterflies.
3: You know, at least 30 or so different species of birds. Maybe another 50 species of plants. So you're thinking sort of around two to 350 species would be a good guess.
1: We found out pretty quickly
3: that we were wrong.
2: So, which way did it go? Were they living in a wasteland inhabited by ghosts of biodiversity past or in the Australian equivalent of the Amazon? There was only one way to find out. And, well, they had the time on their hands, didn't they?
1: We did everything. So, I mean, we, we started with really basic surveys of just, like, walking around the house at different times of day. Right, so you're going to get very different butterflies during the day. And there are all sorts of spiders and other stuff that come out at night. So that was a really good way to just get like a baseline for what species are active around the house over the course of 24 hours. And then, you know, at one point, Matt
3: bought a butterfly net.
2: And this is Matt, owner of the butterfly net.
3: Imagine a person standing with a butterfly net, a big pole with a net attached to the back and just sort of swinging it through the air.
2: This method of insect collection is called sweep netting and I can imagine the men out there in the waning light of the evening backlit with swarms of mosquitoes rising from the grass in slow motion. There's a global pandemic and President Trump is recommending malaria drugs, but all of that is fading into the distance.
3: We also did a weekly sort of beating a bush. We were literally beating the bush. Uh, There is a little shrub. Not a euphemism. (laughs) Not a euphemism. We were literally beating the bush.
2: Okay, not as serene as I imagined, but let's roll with it.
3: There's a, a line of shrubs. So we would just gently beat it with a broom handle or the back of the butterfly net and then sort of see what fell out. (laughs) (laughs) We dug
1: around in the leaf litter. We dug around in the soil looking for for worms and and other terrestrial insects. Russell was great at listening to the dawn chorus. So, you know, trying to catch any birds that might be moving
0: through the neighborhood and singing.
2: And this is Russell.
0: Well, every morning at about 4.30, the... Grey Butcher Bird baby would start to beg and it would do that all day, <laughs> every day for months. The noisy miners were of constant presence. We had rainbow lorikeets, blue-faced honey eaters, Norwegian crows, you know, really all the, the common backyard birds that you would get in Brisbane. March 29th. March 29th.
3: March 29th. 2020.
0: Species one. Day one. Nethyla the golden warp spider. The Australian magpie. Mag-pi. The rainbow Trichoglossus
2: It was all as you'd expect. It was lockdown and everyone else was learning how to make sourdough and pulling out old printer cables from drawers. They were entering into hurried relationships so that they could, um visit a cuddle buddy. And these three, well, they were taking the connect with your local environment idea to a whole new level. And it wasn't the birds or the other relatively easy critters to identify that actually made this project special.
1: I think what, what really contributed to the high numbers was the surveying of our porch lights at night. And this became a bit of a routine. So in the evenings after, after dark, uh, we'd spend 45 minutes, an hour, just trying to get photographs of all of the different tiny little flying insects that would be attracted to the light.
2: Mm-hmm. Locked down, getting antsy, and the best way to pass the time is looking at your porch light.
1: April 24th, the white-browed hawk moth.
2: The project was off to a brilliant start. In between sorting out Zoom meetings and streaming subscriptions, the three men listened, looked and bashed bushes.
3: Oh, it was really exciting. The first few
0: weeks were just amazing. So we shot past a hundred in like the first three or four days. Within a week or two, we had three, 400 species.
3: And then like gradually it starts to tail off because you're spotting a lot of things, but they're the things you spotted yesterday. Within the first two months, we had already had
0: 777 species.
2: Wow. And by
0: that point, it was very, very clear to us that we had significantly underestimated this. March 29th, 2020. The grass wrapped. The booboe cow. April twentieth. The, browns. Browns. the 2020. April 5th, 2020. straight brown skink. Spalling twenty twenty. April fifth, twenty twenty. Brown skink. We had a couple of ground rules. We had to see it either on or
1: in or from the property. Or we didn't count any species that we brought into the property. Right? So we couldn't go to Bunnings, buy a whole bunch of plants, and then count them towards the the total. And the other rule was that we weren't going to kill anything so that limited what our collection methods could be.
2: One of the ways in which specimens are often identified especially with invertebrates is destructive. By that I mean the insect gets killed in the process of IDing it. These three didn't want to do that. And even though Russell does work in taxonomy, this is really not his area.
0: I specialise in Fish parasites, uh, specialised in digging around the guts of fishes and finding what parasitic worms live (laughs) inside them.
2: Yeah, fish parasites are few and far between in the share house. And identifying hundreds of invertebrates was almost an impossible task. So there is actually a fourth mind involved in this project a hive mind from iNaturalist Australia, which is uh, represented here by this bunch of bees. iNaturalist is an app and database where amateurs and professionals alike can work to identify the biodiversity in their local areas. In Australia, iNaturalist is associated with the Atlas of Living Australia, which thankfully isn't about the cost of living, but rather the breadth of living things. And boy, did they uncover some crazy species at this place in Brisbane. Certainly not the stuff you would expect to find in a share house. I think my
3: favorite species is the thread-legged assassin bug.
1: (laughs) So this is a Hemipteran, or a true bug. And this assassin bug has evolved to specifically predate on spiders.
3: This insect hangs out in spider webs. They have these long skinny legs, and they reach out and they pluck the web. And they are kind of mimicking a prey caught in the web. And then the spider gets all really excited and comes to check out what it thinks is its fresh new meal. And the spider finds out that it is, in fact, the meal of this assassin bug. There very little is known about this group of insects. And also, it's not the only insect that hangs out in spider webs and has cool life history strategies. So we had golden orb weavers, and
1: that's a big, beautiful, charismatic spider. It creates a really big web; it could be a couple of meters long. But when you look closer, like the webs were home to a lot of other species. One of the first ones we found were these like really tiny spiders that are kleptoparasites so there's a fraction of the size of the orb weaver spider and these kleptoparasite spiders live in the web and they just steal little bits of food from the orb weaver and then in addition to the kleptoparasites we found another species
3: of moth whose caterpillars actually live in the webs of spiders but they actually hang out in these spider webs eating the poo i'm sorry
0: the what the poo of spiders, and then the, the adult moths would hang like bats from the support struts from of the spider webs,
2: as if tiny Draculas were taking naps nestled into golden orb-weaver webs.
0: And for a while there, we couldn't actually get a firm identity on these moths because they're kind of a dull, unspecial looking thing. Rude. And it took a few months and people drilling into museum databases and the like, to finally be able to tell us what the species was. And it was this thing called Paralyrgus concolor. And it was just this really odd looking moth that was unremarkable in one sense, but really, really cool in
2: the other sense. No, if you think cool is eating spider turds, I suppose.
3: We haven't found anything that explains how these caterpillars avoid getting eaten by the spiders. That's still a mystery. (laughs) And it's not the only species that relies on the scats of another species. We had another moth whose eggs and larva spend their entire life in a single scat of a possum.
2: What the duck?
3: The moths
1: will lay an egg in a single piece of possum poop. And then that caterpillar lives in the piece of poop until it's ready to pupate in order to mate and then repeat the the cycle.
2: So that's giving me an idea of a scale, right, because brush-tailed possum, ring-tailed possum, their poos are quite small, the size of a tic-tac maybe. The moth must be a little one.
3: Oh, yes, it's a tiny moth. In fact, the vast majority of the moths in this study would be considered micro-moths. That's what they're called. They're called <laughs> micro-moths. If you go home at night and you look at your porch light or your balcony light, you will see undoubtedly multiple species of these micro-moths if you look closely. The possum moth you know, is a good example of these little
1: tiny things that are in the yard probably all the time, that we only really started to notice once we were checking the porch lights every night. The possum the
0: moth, is from the a
3: spider web like The
0: mango Dracula. flower moth. April Plagio Luca. The guava moth. April 24th. The white-brown pork moth.
2: Yeah. what is it with all of these moths?
0: We had no idea that there were so many moths in the city. We had no idea it was possible to have so many moths in the city.
1: But it turns out if you spend a year checking your porch light every night, <laughs> uh, you find a lot of stuff that
0: just has gone unnoticed. But for us to end up with something like 436 butterfly and moth species is just absolutely mind-blowing.
2: You heard it right. There were over 400 species just of moths and butterflies at this rental property. None of them were doing their fair share of the chores either. So how many species did they find over the whole year?
0: Tetragonula carbonaria, the fluted bird's-nest fungus, the speckled cockle, meadow puffball, family Umininae, the white-breasted wass, the lawn shrimp.
1: <laughs> the number that we ended with was one thousand one hundred and fifty species.
3: Now, it's important to say that that's a lot, and is
1: probably
3: an underestimate of the true total. So we're at 1,150 species. Of those, we had 436 butterflies and moths, and then we had 109 dipteran species. That's flies and mosquitoes. Then we had a, a decent number of beetles and Hymenoptera, your bees, wasps, and ants.
2: But what is the significance of all of this counting and classifying?
1: You know, There's just way, way more species than we thought, right? And we thought we knew what was there, and there's just way more.
3: We just totally take for granted and underestimate how much wildlife actually lives with us.
2: It turns out, this is a pretty common thing.
3: We actually surveyed 157 professional ecologists and conservation scientists at the Ecological Society of Australia's annual conference. And even then, on average, they were guessing 200 or so species. So even professional ecologists are underestimating by fivefold how many species are in their actual homes, right? And... One thing that's really interesting about this is, like, the number of species we found in this house is actually twice as high as the number of species on the official government website list for the species in Lamington National Park.
2: Wait, what? There is more known biodiversity in this one rental property than in Lamington National Park. This is an unbelievable result.
1: So a biodiversity hotspot is, well, there's a couple definitions, um, but generally it's an area that we think of as being particularly rich with species. It, we have inadvertently found a biodiversity hotspot in suburban brisbane but it's probably it's not it can't be true right
3: yeah i mean if you wanted to be really cheeky you could yeah you could say uh we're going to be gazetting your uh, 400 meter square block in brisbane as a national park
2: <laughs> it's actually a fantastic thought but If I'm being sensible, it's probably more a reflection of the year-long dedication and attention to biodiversity from the three rentalists. That sort of stuff just isn't available for a lot of national parks.
1: Our yard is probably not that different from the other yards in the neighbourhood, or it's not a particularly unique environment in the greater Brisbane area. That means that probably every yard could be its own biodiversity hotspot with a little bit of dedicated surveying. You know, we didn't set out initially to document this uh, as extensively as we did, and so we inadvertently ended up creating two years of work for ourselves.
2: Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's true. <laughs> no, it was, it, yeah, yeah. It
1: was uh, like when we when we blew past our first gas, it was just like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. We, <laughs> we, we might have found something. Um, but it's great, right? Because it's like, it's hard to find another project where you're on like the forefront of scientific knowledge without really leaving the couch.
0: July 19th, 2021 cop termites, Some sort of termite.
2: Huge thank you to Matt Holden, Andrew Rogers and Russell Young for inviting us around. I suppose thanks to your landlord as well for having the house and the iNaturalist community in Australia for sharing this frankly shocking story of the biodiversity around us. This is What the Duck, and I am Ann Jones. Patria Ladgrove and I produce this program from Wadawurrung and Ghana country. In the end, you know how that question in your head was like, I wonder how many spiders are in this room?
1: But we, yeah, we, we ended up finding uh, 63 different spiders. Wow.
2: Wow. Right?
1: The spiders ended up being, like, the least of our our worries by the end of the project.
2: What what was your worry?
1: Oh, we had a high diversity of cockroaches, both native (laughs) and invasive. Basically, we ended up creating, like, the most comprehensive pest report for the the
0: property. (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast.